Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Scripture reading this morning is going, uh, or scripture text this morning is going to be Luke uh, chapter 11 verses 24 through uh, 28. However, because these verses are a continuation of the verses we looked at last Sunday, I'm actually going to begin uh, reading at verse 14 so that we can hear the flow of the uh, entire conversation. So Luke uh, chapter 11, beginning at verse 14. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find Luke 14 on page 800. Uh, and 69. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 14. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon our study this morning. Father God, this is your word. And you have promised that it will not return to you void. And so we ask that you would cause it to grow here this morning. That you would cause it to bring forth fruit. That you would cause it to renew our minds and transform our lives to the praise of your glory. Give us ears to hear your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, when we looked at the first half of this passage, we we were challenged by Jesus' words in verse 23. Jesus says that whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. We saw that that verse comes in response to the crowd's response to his miracle. Jesus had cast out a demon that had held a man in bondage, a man who was unable to speak. And when Jesus cast out that demon, the man began to speak. And the people understandably marveled. They were amazed. They were impressed by the power of of Jesus' work. But the crowd divided in two over exactly how to respond to this miracle. There were some in the crowd, there were some who had witnessed Jesus' miracle, who said that, that he only did these mighty works because he was in league with Satan. It was by the power of Beelzebul that he cast out 
demons. That the only reason the demons obeyed him is because he too was one of Satan's servants. The second group were not quite so bold in their assessment. They, they were not willing to say that Jesus was in league with Satan. They simply said they didn't know. They, they didn't know the source of his power. They didn't know how he did these things. They needed more evidence. And so they kept seeking further signs from heaven. They kept asking him to do more, to, to do more things so that they might know his true identity. I think if we were assessing these groups today, we would find that the second group is, uh, seems uh, much better than the first. Uh, the second group is far less hostile to Jesus. In fact, today we might call them seekers or inquirers. We would say, well, you know, they're, they're seeking further evidence. They're, they're asking the right questions. They're, they're inquiring after Jesus' true identity. They had not rejected Jesus. They had simply deferred the question. The first group sees Jesus as a servant of Satan. The the second group would never say such a thing. They simply want more evidence before they decide. And I want you to hear me say this morning that from one perspective, it is wise to distinguish between these two groups. It is wise to distinguish between those who are settled opponents of Jesus and those who are still inquirers, those who are still seekers, those who remain undecided. In his book, Vertical Church, James McDonald distinguishes between what he calls ripe fruit and fruit that is fruit that is not yet ready. He said, as evangelists, as those who are proclaiming the gospel, we have an obligation to proclaim the gospel with everyone. But if we're going to decide where to focus most of our energy, we should probably do it on the ripe fruit. We should probably do it on the people who will at least listen to us. If, if someone is a settled opponent of the gospel, you probably don't want to invest a lot of your energy Proclaiming the gospel to them. And I think there's wisdom in that. I think Jesus actually gave similar advice. Do you remember what Jesus told his opponents when he, his opponents. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out to proclaim the gospel? He sent them out and he said, listen, when you go, proclaim the gospel to everyone. But if you come to a village and they won't listen to you, leave. Move on. And not only should you move on, but shake the dust from your feet as you go. And so Jesus himself seemed to give similar advice. It is wise to distinguish between those who are settled opponents and those who remain undecided. But if you're in that second category this morning, if you are one who is still considering the claims of Christ, if you are are one who, who hasn't... Uh, yet come to a firm decision about who Jesus is and how you're going to relate to him. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. I want you to hear that you are not assessing Jesus from some neutral position. That you continue to stand among his enemies. That you are counted among his opponents. That you are counted among those who are against him. If you are not for him, that is the only other option. There is no third category as far as Jesus is concerned. Either you are for him or you are Against him. And so if you are a self-proclaimed seeker, if you are one who is self-consciously undecided, if you are one who is still evaluating and assessing Jesus' claims, then you need to know that you still stand under Jesus' judgment. You still stand under God's condemnation. You are still subject to the wrath to come. You are not neutral. You are not a third party. You are counted among his enemies. As you consider Jesus' offer of pardon, as you consider his offer of reconciliation, you consider it as one 
who is justly subject to his coming wrath. The question is not whether you will become a traitor or whether you will become an ally. The question is, will you as a traitor receive his offer of pardon? The question is, will you continue as a rebel or will you repent and return to your rightful king? That is what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you are against me. But as we saw last week, this verse has application not only to those who know themselves to be seekers, but it also has application for those who might not think of themselves as seekers. Those who who might not think of themselves as undecided. Those who say they are decided. Those who claim that Jesus is their Lord, but whose lives say otherwise. Those who call him Lord with their lips, but live as if he were not. When Jesus speaks about those who are not with him, I think he has more in mind than simply verbal allegiance. He's he's talking about more than just those who say they are with him. He is talking about those who are truly with him. Those who follow him. Those who who are truly his disciples. But that leaves us with a pretty important question, doesn't it? If this verse applies not only to those who are self-consciously undecided, those who are self-consciously seekers, but to those who who are not truly with him, then we need to know what does it mean to be truly with him? Who are those who are with him? Who gets counted in that group? And I want to suggest to you that that is the question that the verses before us this morning are meant to address. Verses 24 through 28 are verses which challenge us to consider who is it that is truly with Jesus. And Jesus is going to answer that question for us, first by way of contrast, first by exposing two false ways of being with him, and then by defining for us what he means when he says, the one who is with me. So let's begin with the false ways. We, we see the first false way of being with Jesus in verses 24 through 26. This story about the unclean spirit who has gone out of a person. And we have to admit that this, this is a strange story. You know, the, the exorcisms already are a little bit strange for modern people. You know, post-enlightenment people, we already have trouble with that. But we, we believe that kind of stuff around here. We, we believe that this is actually true. We believe there is a spiritual realm. We believe there are spiritual beings. And we believe that some of those spiritual beings are evil, that they rebelled with Satan against God, and that they are now actively working to undermine his purposes in the world. They are now actively seeking to destroy his People. That is true. It is every bit as true as the, the history that you can see and that you can experience with your five senses. We, we believe that. But even so, even though we believe it, we still struggle a little bit and it still strikes us as a little bit odd, especially when we hear Jesus talking about a spirit going out, searching through waterless places and then coming back and the person being worse off than he was in the beginning. We We struggle to understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. But I I want to draw your attention to what I think is sort of the punchline of the paragraph. Even if some of the details are confusing to you, I think you can still understand Jesus' point. If you look at how he wraps it all up, notice what he says at the end. The last state of that person is worse than the first. That's the key. Jesus is saying that this person was never really with me. This person was never really with me. What happened? This person was was set free from a demon. The demon was was cast out. I remember the people who are listening to this are people who are standing in the crowd who have just witnessed this happen. 
A man has just been liberated from a demon. The demon has just been cast out of him. So this is fresh in their minds. And Jesus says, when that spirit goes out of the man, what happens to him? Well, he's now free. He's now able to to clean up his life. He's now able to put his life in order. We're, We're told that when the demon comes back, he finds the house swept and put in order. We, we know illustrations of that, do we not? We, we remember the story of the demoniac, the demoniac who was uh, possessed by a legion of demons. And, and when he was possessed, he lived among the tombs and he lived without clothes and he, he cut himself with stones and his life was out of order. His life was chaos. But what are we told? That when Jesus set that man free and the townspeople came and saw him, what did they see? They saw a man who was now in his right mind, a man who was dressed a man who was acting rationally, his life had been swept and put in order. This is what happens when you encounter the, the power of the Word of God, the Word of Jesus. Your life is swept and put in order. But what is Jesus saying? He said, listen, if that person is not subsequently filled by another spirit, if the house remains empty, if it is merely cleaned up but not inhabited then that person's going to end up worse off than he was before. Just because he was set free, just because his life was cleaned up and and put in order, does not mean that he has become a disciple of Jesus Christ. It does not mean that he is with him now. Something more than an experience of God's power, something more than an experience of Jesus' power is required. There was one occasion where Jesus cast uh, or cured ten lepers, but only one came back. Only one seemed to get something more than physical healing. So what Jesus is, is trying to show us is that there is more to being with him than experiencing the power of his word. And I think this has a profound application for many people today. It is instructive not only to those who have been literally freed from a demonic oppression, though that does still happen today, but rather it is applicable to all of those who have had their lives swept in order through contact with Christ and his word. There are many people today whose lives are better because of the influence of Christianity, despite what Hitchens says, despite what so many people say. Christianity has made a lot of people's lives Better. There are people who have improved their marriage by, by reading books written from a Christian perspective. There are people who have learned how to parent by, <clears throat> by listening to Christian teachers. There are people who have averted financial crisis because they have listened to Christian teachers and have fo- followed Christian principles related to their wealth. There are people who have found success in their work because they discovered a Christian work ethic. There are people who have been set free from uh, drugs and alcohol because they have followed a program based upon Christian principles. And of course, I could go on. You, you know the list. You know the stories. There are many people out there whose lives have been swept and put in order through contact with Christ and his word. And I want you to hear me say that those people have received a true blessing. It is good to have your life swept and put in order. That is a good thing. That is a blessing of God's word. Anytime in this fallen world that we can experience life a little bit more in conformity with God's blueprint, that is good. That is a blessing from God. But I also want you to hear me say that that's not what it means to become a Christian. That's not what it means to be with Jesus. Experiencing life more in conformity with God's blueprint, more in conformity with God's design, is not what it means to be with him 
To be with Him requires something more than this. And so if you are here this morning because you like Christian morality, because you think that's the best way to live, you're right. You're right. Christian morality is the best way to live. It is the best way to go because it's the designer's blueprint. The one who made you is telling you this is the way things work. And when you listen to him, life goes better. But that doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't make you one of his disciples. That doesn't mean that you are with him. If you do not repent, if you do not believe, if you do not bow to him as Lord, if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, your last state, whether in this life or in the life to come, will be worse than your first. So we have to understand, we have to hear that just because we live in a society that is at least in part shaped by the Christian gospel, though that effect is maybe deteriorating quickly in our day. But just because we live in a society that is at least in part shaped by the Christian gospel, and just because we experience some of the benefits of living in accord with God's blueprint for human flourishing, that does not make us Christians. That is a false way of being with Jesus. The second false way that Jesus wants to show us comes in verse 27. As Jesus is saying these things, we are told that a woman in the crowd raises her voice and says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nurse. Of course, she's talking about Jesus' mother. She's saying, Blessed is your mom. Now, in a way, she's saying something nice about Jesus. You know, when you talk about someone's mom, you say that someone's mom is blessed. You're saying, you know, I like you a lot. But, but still, she's saying something about Mary. She is saying that Mary is blessed. And Jesus, in verse 28, is actually going to correct her. He's going to say, blessed rather. You think my mom is blessed? Blessed rather are these other people. And there are some who take that and say, well, see, you know, the Catholics are wrong about Mary. Well, the Catholics are wrong about Mary, but that's not really what this verse is about. That's not what Jesus is, is saying. In fact, Luke himself tells us that Mary was blessed. Luke himself tells us that it was a blessing for Mary to be the mother of, of Jesus. Just think back to the song that Mary sings, the song we call the Magnificat, the song that she sings uh, when she knows that Jesus is to be born. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked in the humble estate of his servant. For behold, now all generations will do what? All generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So it's not wrong to say that Mary is blessed. It's not wrong to say that it was a great blessing for Mary to be the mother of Jesus. It most certainly was. But why then? Why then does Jesus feel the need to correct her? Why does he say, blessed rather? Well, when you see the, the context and when you understand the flow of what's going on here, you, you understand that Jesus is exposing a second false understanding of what it means to be with him. Jesus is teaching this woman and teaching the crowds and, and by proxy teaching all of us. Jesus is teaching us that being connected to Jesus by family is not the same thing as being with him. Just because a person is connected to Jesus by family ties does not mean that that person is one of Jesus' disciples. Just because a person is connected to Jesus by blood, just because a person has, has been born into a Christian family, that does not mean that that person is with Jesus. Even Jesus' own mother, if she did not believe, if she did not repent and follow, if she did not call him Lord, even she would be against him 
That family connection by itself is not enough. And of course, this has application for so many people today. There are many, I think, who regard themselves as Christians, who regard themselves as blessed disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they are associated with Jesus through family. They were born into it. Or, or they have friends who are, who are in it. And they have those, those connections. They come to church on Sunday morning because that's what you do. They, they were taken to church when they were a kid, and now they're bringing their kids to church. And, and that's just what you're supposed to do, especially if you live in the South. And Jesus is saying, listen, no, those family ties are not enough. There's something more. When I say the one who is with me, I don't mean the one who has just experienced something of my power. When I say the one who is with me, I don't mean just simply the one who is associated with me by family. Family is important. My dad likes to say that, that God's family is the, the number one means of evangelism. When we raise our children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, we are raising up the next generation of the church. Family is important. But family ties alone are not enough. We are raising them in the Lord. We are raising them towards faith and repentance. And this is exactly what Jesus says. Notice how Jesus corrects this woman's exclamation. He says to her, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Think about what that phrase means. What does it mean to hear the word of God and and keep it? To to hear the word in that culture was not simply to have it bounce off your eardrums. He he has more in mind than that. Remember the strange saying that Jesus uses over and over again where he says, you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. There were people who were listening to Jesus talk who weren't hearing him. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what that means. You know exactly what it means to talk to your kids, have your voice bounce off their eardrums and them not hear you. Because to hear is to receive as authoritative truth. That's what it means to receive the the, the word of God. To hear the word of God is to receive it as authoritative truth. And not only do you receive it, Jesus says, but the one who is truly blessed is the one who hears it, who hears what it means, who receives it as it is and accepts it as the very words of God, accepts it as true truth, and then begins to live in conformity to it, begins to, to live in its light, begins to live as if it's actually true. This is how our own confession defines faith. Our own confession says that uh, faith believes to be true whatever is revealed in the Word of God. Whatever God says, just because God said it, we believe it. That's what it means to hear the Word of God. That's what it means to have faith. But it goes on to, to add to that simple definition. Not only do you believe it, not only do you receive it as true, but you begin to act differently upon what each particular truth contains. And so if it's a promise, you rest in it. If it's a command, you yield to it. If it's a warning, you heed it. You respond to the word according to what is said. You hear it and you keep it. And it's the person who has that sort of faith, the person who who hears the word of God and keeps it, that is the person who is with Jesus. Not simply the person who, who says with his lips, well, yeah, I'm with you, and then goes off and does another thing. But rather, the person who hears his word and keeps it, that is the biblical definition of faith. That's where our confession got it. We didn't make that stuff up. We we got it right here. This is what it means to be with Jesus. This is what it means to believe in him, to hear his word and to keep it. Abraham was a man of faith, and you knew he was a man of faith. Why? Because he walked in the footsteps of that faith. James tells us that Abraham worked out his faith by his obedience. If his faith hadn't produced obedience, it would not have been true faith. Faith without works is dead. So if you were here this morning, 
And you have never believed the Word of God concerning His Son. You have never received that as true truth, as God's declaration of Gospel to a people who are in desperate need of such good news. If you have never believed that, if you have never received that, if you have never rested upon it, if you are now not living as if that is your only hope, then you need to hear Jesus say, you're not with me. You're not with me. And if you're not with me, then you're against me. And if you're against me, then you're still under my condemnation. And if you're still under my condemnation, then you are still subject to the wrath to come. It's not what we're used to hearing in church. We're we're not used to people talking about God this way today. Uh, What do you mean, wrath to come? I don't believe in a God who has wrath. Then you don't believe in the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a consuming fire. The God of the Bible is a just and impartial judge before whom no sinner can stand. The unrighteous cannot stand in His presence. We cannot endure His judgment. Our mouths are shut before His throne. That's what the Bible says again and again and again. And Jesus wants you to know, listen, if you are not with Me, then that's where you stand. But here's the good news. The good news is that today is the day of salvation. That psalm that I used at the beginning for our call to worship, it says, hey, listen, today is the day. Do not harden your hearts today, but when you hear this message, respond to it. God in His infinite mercy is patient with us. And He gives us chance after chance after chance to hear this message and respond. If you are not with Him, you are against Him, but it's not too late. Today you hear the gospel. Today you can respond to the gospel. And if you will receive and rest upon him today, then today it will be his good pleasure to give you his kingdom. It will be his good pleasure to make you an heir of all of his blessings. In Christ, those of us here this morning who have received and rested upon Jesus Christ, we have in Christ received every spiritual blessing. In Christ, we are rich beyond imagination. In Christ, we have an inheritance that we can barely begin to comprehend. In Christ, we do not lose heart through the struggles of this world because we have a glory That is beyond all comparing to anything He will ask us to go through here. That is the blessing that is ours in Christ. And if you have not received and rested upon Him yet, that is what is offered to you here this morning. That inheritance can be yours. It is there for the taking. It's been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Christ. And He says, have it. Repent and believe in Me. Deny yourself. Lay down that life that's leading you to destruction. Lay down that life that is killing you and come and follow me. Receive my Holy Spirit and in His power walk after me. In His power keep this word. Walk in accordance to this blueprint. Because this is the way of true blessing. And because that is the offer that is made to each and every one of us here this morning. That is why we call this good news. Now do you believe that? Pray with me. Father God, we do rejoice in your gospel. We thank you, Father, that that Jesus takes the time to expose false ways of being with him. Father, it can be uncomfortable for us sometimes to, to hear Jesus speak this way. It's not the Jesus we're used to paying attention to. But Father, we know that he speaks these words not with malice, but with compassion. 
He speaks to them, pleading with us to respond. Do not be deceived, he says. Do not think just simply because you have experienced something in my power that that you're with me. Do not think just simply because you were born into a family that you are with me. Hear my word and keep it. Repent and believe. Deny yourself and follow me. And all of my blessings will be yours. Father God, may you grant us the grace to respond to and to receive and to stand upon this promise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.